Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi hakka hamdihi. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Muhammedin Resulihi ve abdihi ve ala alihi ve ashabihi min ba'dihi. Esselamu aleykum ve rahmetullahi ve berekatuhu. Welcome back to Misk Women's podcast series on the beginning of guidance by the great Imam Ghazali. May Allah be pleased with him always. And our commentary by the great Imam Al-Jawi, may Allah be pleased with him. We are entering now into the third and final section of the book. And today, inshallah, we will be looking at uh, part three, the etiquette of companionship with the creator and with creation. So what are the personal qualities, the personal etiquettes, the virtues that you need to adorn yourself with and be conscious of when it comes to the way in which you relate to and interact with your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and also those around you in the various states that you may find yourself in. So today, inshallah, we are going to be looking at the first part of that, um, which consists of five categories, inshallah, that we're going to deal with. Um, that's first of all, how you relate to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And after that, the etiquettes of the scholar, if you happen to be a scholar or a teacher or a person in a position in which you impart knowledge. Then the etiquette of the student. So if you're a student, how you should behave with regards to your teacher. Uh, then the etiquette of the child with the parents. So how should uh, offspring deal with those who have brought them into the world? And then finally, how you should behave with people you do not know. So the general public or uh, the society at large. So inshallah, that's what we will be looking at today. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Our beloved uh, Sheikh and teacher and guide in all our affairs, the great Imam Ghazali, has said in this section, Know that your companion, the one who never parts from you, whether you are at home or you are traveling, whether you are asleep or awake, and indeed in your life and at your death, is none other than your Lord, your protector, your master, and your creator. Whenever you engage in remembrance of him, he is with you. As Allah Most High says, I am the companion of the one who engages in remembrance of me. Imam al-Jawi has some very interesting things to say about this aspect of remembering <clears throat> that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always with you. When Imam al-Ghazali says, whenever you engage in remembrance of him, he is with you. And Imam al-Jawi says, that's remembrance that you make either with your tongue or your heart or the two together. So he is your companion. He is the one who sits with you. And he's the one who does that without ever forgetting you. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in a hadith Qudsi that I am the companion or the one who sits with the one who remembers me, then what in effect he's saying is that my servant, I am as you think of me and I am with you. And Imam Ujawi says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's being with you is his giving you tawfiq. And that um, he says that I am with you, with my knowledge of you, with my all-encompassing knowledge of who you are and what you are doing and what state you are in, that I never leave you. And he also says that with Allah's knowledge, 
that he is with you when you remember him. So when you make dua to him, when you supplicate, Allah is the one who listens to you and listens to what you say and he's the one who will answer you. However, this is only if it is that you are in a state of awareness and alertness about what you are saying. So it's not thicker that you do in a state of ghafla, in a state of recklessness or heedlessness, but rather when you are conscious and aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's when you're actually able to feel his presence. Imam al-Jawi mentions a very great hadith which many people will know and this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Ya ibn Adam, in the kartani fi nafsik, the kartuka fi nafsi. Oh my servant, if you remember me in yourself, then I remember you to myself. Wa in the kartani fi malain, the kartuka fi malain khayrun minhu. And if you remember me in company, I remember you in company much higher and better than that. Wa in denota minni shibran, denotu minka dira'an. And if you come closer to me or draw closer to me by a hand span, then I draw closer to you with an arm's length. Wa in denota minni dira'an, denotu minka ba'an. And if you draw closer to me, with an arm's length, then I will draw closer to you with an arm span. So from hand to hand, your whole arm's span. And if you come to me walking, then I will come to you running. And this meaning Imam Ujawi tells us means that if you remember Allah, he says, Sirran ikhlasan watajannuban lirriya. So if you come to Allah within yourself, secretly, quietly, with ikhlas, with sincerity, and not with any riya or ostentation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will rush to you quickly with thawab, with a reward, in accordance with the manner in which you have approached him. So the more pure and sincere is your manner in which you seek and beseech and plead and and look for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then inshallah the, the faster he will come to respond to that. And that if you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a gathering uh, proudly and in a way that shows and manifests his greatness and magnificence, then uh, amongst the creation, then Allah will remember you amongst the angels, those who have drawn close to him, the highest level of the angels, and amongst the souls that have been sent. So those souls that are gathered there in the highest realms of the celestial stations and he will remember you with pride and he will speak greatly about your rank and your value and if you approach him with a struggle and striving in your worship with a very high degree of sincerity then Allah will come close to you with guidance and tawfiq, hidayah and tawfiq and if it is that you do more and uh, seek as much as you can and increase in what you're doing, then Allah will also increase in what he gives you. And this is some of the meanings that the scholars have given to this great hadith.
Then Imam Ghazali says that, And whenever your heart breaks with sorrow over your shortcomings in fulfilling the rights of your Lord, indeed he is your friend and constant companion. As your Lord Most High says, I am with those whose hearts are broken for my sake. So what does this mean? Well, Imam Ujawi says that these are the hearts which have a fear, a reverential fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fearing that they won't get tawfiq, that they won't get that divine grace and success because of some shortcoming or some deficiency or something that's lacking from their acts of obedience. Uh, because of them having acquired an act of disobedience or sinfulness. So the broken-hearted one is the one who's in that state, who does what they are required to do, who strives and struggles out of love and sincerity for the sake of Allah. But there's always this little niggling feeling in the heart that somehow they're not doing enough, that somehow it's not good enough. And that's what it means to be broken-hearted. We ask Allah to make us of the brokenhearted, to make us of those who strive and seek him in all our states and affairs in the best of way, but that we're never deluded by that or think that somehow that that raises us in a way above other people or makes us different or better, but that rather we constantly feel that we could be doing better and not in a way that we lose confidence, but just in a way that we feel we can never really fulfill the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that we recognize and know the tremendous blessings that he's placed upon us to be able to even be in a position to make those acts of worship and to have those good intentions and to try and seek him. Why? Because that's the blessing of Islam. And so to be aware of that and so grateful because the biggest blessing of all is Islam and Iman to have faith and so even though we are human and we can never be perfect what we can do is seek perfection and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself and in doing so of course that will show us our shortcomings that will show us what what we don't have but that's the way that we know Allah as well and knowing that he is always with us when we are in that state is a huge blessing and a tremendous comfort to us because Everything we do is known and understood and already written anyway. Imam Ghazali says that if you knew him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, truly as he should be known, you would take him as your companion and leave people aside. If you are not able to do this all the time, then beware of leaving your entire night and day devoid of a time spent alone with your master. Uh, therein to taste the sweetness of intimate dialogue with him. For this you must learn the manners of companionship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam Ujawi says that the way that you do keep that company with Allah is through maintaining and being devoted to your acts of obedience and worship by increasing the dhikr that you do and by avoiding and staying away from acts of disobedience. So if you do keep some time in the night and the day for extra prayer and solitude, then you must know how to uh, sit and do that with the correct adab and with the correct etiquette. And that is what Imam Ghazali is going to explain now. He says there are actually 14 types of etiquette that the person who is seeking their Lord and seeking to be in his company in the best of ways should think about and try and apply. The first of those is keeping the eyes downcast, so keeping the head lowered and by being in a state of humility and submission. 
then a person must try and have full concentration on what they're doing and what they're saying and recognizing and feeling that they're in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you do that, Imam Ujawi says, by having an intention and intentional concentration. Okay, so you really, really try and focus and rely on Allah for that. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you that rizq, to give you that support so that you're able to be in that state of heart and mind with that focus. You should try to remain silent, apart from your dhikr, of course, but to be still um, with the limbs as well and hasten to fulfill the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should hasten to stay away and avoid the things that are prohibited and you should not have personal objections to what has been written for you so this is very important so although sometimes a person can feel that they don't like what has happened in their life or certain circumstances and things like that then you should try very hard not to openly object okay and to show your displeasure in those things and Imam Ujawi mentions that the Prophet ﷺ said, Worship Allah with contentment, contentment with what he has decreed. And if you can't be content, then be patient over what it is that you don't like, for indeed in that is an abundance of good. There is another hadith where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a hadith Qudsi has said, I am Allah, there is no God but me. And he says, Faman lam yasbur ala balai. So whoever does not have patience on my calamity, so the calamity that he has uh, afflicted his particular servant with in order to purify and raise the servant's rank, and whoever does not thank me for my blessings, and who is not pleased with what I have decreed and preordained, So go and find another Lord other than me. Astaghfirullah. Uh, it's also said that uh, one of the great uh, Gnostics has said that contentment with Allah is not that you don't feel the calamity or the trial or the affliction. Okay, it's not that, but contentment with Allah is that you don't object to the judgment and what has been decreed for you. Okay, so that's very important. So of course, everybody feels distress and stress and tiredness and anxiety and all the things that come with uh, perhaps uh, the deprivation of something or the change in circumstances, that's fine. But the point is that you are able to accept and be content with what it is that has happened to you. And that's the distinguishing feature. And then to be patient with that, inshallah, and then you will have passed that test and you will have succeeded in what it was that Allah had sought to have you succeed in by the manner in which you approach the issue. So often it's not your uh, taking the means and the actual physical things that you might do, although of course within that is dependence on Allah and seeking his uh, success and grace in that, but rather it comes down to the state of heart and your approach. So here you are, you've got a situation on your hands, how are you going to deal with that? How are you going to approach that? 
by being um, stressed out and by being unable to deal with it or by saying okay this is really hard but alhamdulillah Allah has given me this for a reason and I'm content with what Allah has decreed it's a very high station and it's something that most people don't get to and I can only speak about this in a theoretical way and according to what's written in the book here but that's what we need to be seeking inshallah after that, uh, Imam Ghazali says that the way in which you uh, maintain your etiquette and your proper adab in the company of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through maintaining constant dhikr, remembrance with your tongue and with your heart. He also says that you should uh, maintain contemplation and that you should, it says here, give preference to the truth, which means to prefer Allah over all else. Okay, so you should look at a situation and in that situation put Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and return back to him through Tawbah and you should look to see your support and your rizik and what is extended to you of divine outpourings before you go looking to creation in order to fix or solve your problem or to depend on them. Uh, the 11th quality is that you should feel that human beings are unable to help you and despair of their help because in the sense that you shouldn't have hope in creation so we know that human beings cannot help us unless Allah has willed for them to help us so by turning to the source of that help rather than to the outcome of that help then inshallah that will make us stronger and that will give us a proper perspective in our dealings with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you should have peace of mind without resort to any strategy for earning a livelihood. Again, you take the means, but you don't spend your whole life thinking about where you're going to get your sustenance from. There has to be a balance there. So you think about it, but not to the extent that it becomes that you depend on yourself or that you think that you're the creator of your rizik. Okay, so you do what you can, you rely on Allah and you understand that he is the one who actually sustains you. And the way that you do that is by having confidence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's guarantee because he has guaranteed for all creatures that he will sustain them. So why should you be any different? You should have a humble heart at all times, especially in the face of the the greatness and the majesty and the awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, you should ha have a lowered heart which we mentioned before the inkisar the be broken hearted in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you should feel a sense of modesty about how it is that you interact and how you interact with him in the sense that how it is that you are engaged in his presence and finally, Imam Ghazali tells us that all of these etiquettes should constitute your distinguishing emblem in your nights and days. So what does he mean by an emblem? It's like this state that you're in is actually a symbol that you show. And Imam Ujawi says it's just like your clothes because your clothing is that which is like stuck to and attached to your body so that's your outer representation is the way that you present yourself and on top of that uh, your shi'ar so your emblem your symbol of 
your connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the refined etiquette that you have knowing that you are always in his presence because as he has said that he is always with you um, is something that also should be reflected and not for the sake of other people but just because if it is that you are truly in that state it will be manifested on your limbs. And Imam Ghazali says that this should be your distinguishing uh, emblem in all your nights and days. He says, these are the spiritual courtesies of companionship with a friend who never leaves your side, even as everyone of creation will part company with you at one time or another. So Allah's being with you is constantly through his knowledge, through the divine graces that he pours upon you. And Imam Ujawi quotes an ayah here, وَهُوَ مَعَكُمْ أَيْنَمَا كُنْتُمْ And he is with you wherever you may be. That's Surah Al-Hadid, ayah number four. Okay, let's move now to our etiquette of the scholar. And there are 17 types of etiquettes that you should adorn yourself with here. So we will go through them and where Imam Ujawi has mentioned something that adds to our knowledge or is of particular interest, we will mention that inshallah. So Imam Ghazali says that if you are a scholar, then the manners of a scholar that you must have are, first of all, ample tolerance for your students and forbearance and patience with them. He says that you must always be in a dignified manner, in a dignified bearing when in the company of people. Because if you are a scholar, then you are someone who has been bestowed with knowledge. And with that knowledge should come a refinement in your etiquette and a type of a distinguishing feature about you because you're meant to be a learned person. But never, of course, with any arrogance. It's just something that when people become more learned and more knowledgeable and in a greater way engaged and in depth in knowledge, then there should be a shift in their demeanor which reflects that. Imam Ghazali says that you should refrain from showing haughtiness towards any slave of Allah. Again, not being arrogant, except, he says, for tyrants, for oppressors as a deterrent to their oppressive behavior. So this is known, this is a hadith uh, where it is said that being arrogant towards the arrogant is a way of lowering them and forcing them to be humble. Just as being humble with those who are humble is a way of making people feel good and better about themselves. The scholars should also prefer to be humble in gatherings, meaning that they shouldn't seek to sit at the front and have people recognize, know that they're there, but that they should just be like other people in the crowd as well or at the gathering. They should avoid too much jesting and jokes in a way that is inappropriate or rude. And a scholar should always be affable. They should always be friendly and smiley and light-hearted in the company of people if that's what's required, but not to the point where they go beyond that and things start to, to get unbecoming for them. The scholar or the teacher uh, should always be gentle with the students and be patient with the student or questioner who is haughty. 
So what happens is that often a student will feel that they know more than the teacher and that's because they don't actually know as much as the teacher and if they did know then they would recognize that they didn't actually have the knowledge that they thought. So it's out of ignorance that a student will think that they know more and the teacher should be patient with that. At the same time the teacher should be able to have a good manner when it comes to correcting those who aren't uh, so uh, quick-witted. They should have a very good way of guiding them and not be annoyed with them. So not to be annoyed with those students who don't catch on so quickly or who need more time to learn as everybody learns in a different way and at a different pace and not uh, always as fast as the others. It's also extremely important for a scholar to say, I don't know when they're asked about a particular question. Um, and of course, Imam Malik, he's uh, the great Imam Malik, may Allah be pleased with him, is known for saying this, I don't know, even though he was the most learned man in Medina and people came to him for his knowledge. And he was never shy to say that he didn't know the answer to a particular question. Uh, there's a, a narration here that Imam Ujawi has about a man who came to the Prophet wasallam, and he asked him, which is the worst place? And the Prophet said, I don't know. Uh, I have to ask Jibreel. And so then he asked Jibreel and Jibreel, the angel, said, I don't know until I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The scholar should also accept the proof of an interlocutor, the person they are uh, discussing things in a debate or discussion over an issue. The scholar should also submit to the truth and return to it when he or she realizes that they are wrong. The scholar should also prevent students from studying and learning knowledge that may harm them, uh, which Imam Ujawi mentions might be magic and astrology and any of those types of matters which are deemed in the Sharia not to be beneficial knowledge. They should also prevent their students from pursuing anything other than the countenance of Allah Most High. So that's through good counsel and speaking to students and encouraging them always to purify their intention and to seek only that which benefits them and which will enable them inshallah to reach that time in the Jannah inshallah when they are able to witness the manifestation of the divine countenance inshallah and that that's the ultimate goal and that is what we seek. The teacher should also prevent the student from occupying himself with communal obligations before he has completed his individual obligations. So the student needs to learn how to rectify his outward and inward with the proper consciousness and fear of Allah, taking account of himself first. This is what the teacher needs to manifest so that the student may follow him in actions first of all and then benefit from his words after that because actions speak louder than words. The third category that we're going to look at is the etiquette of the student. So if you are a student, this is the type of adab, the type of comportment that you should seek to adorn yourself with. And Imam Ujawi says that there are 13 of these. So the first of these is for a student to be the first to greet the teacher and say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. 
and that they should ask permission to enter the room or enter the, the majlis or wherever it is that the class is taking place. They should not speak too much in the presence of the teacher and they shouldn't speak unless they are asked to by the teacher. They should not ask questions without first seeking permission and most importantly they shouldn't say in contradiction to the teacher oh uh, so and so meaning another scholar said something different from what you say if it is that the student has heard another opinion or another perspective then they should first of all go and research that a bit further and to see does it really differ with what the teacher is saying and how and not just on the surface but really are the roots of the point that the teacher's making so different to the roots of the other point that they might have heard? Is there really a conflict there? So before the student starts to object and interject and say things to the teacher about what they think may be better or more true, they should really go and do their research first. And that's showing a proper etiquette and adapt to the teacher and recognizing that indeed the teacher may be right and Perhaps the teacher might be wrong, but then if that is the case, then they need to speak to the teacher in the appropriate way. And as uh, Habib Omar tells us that the madad, the divine outpourings, are in accordance with the amount of adab, the amount of etiquette that a person has. And that applies in all situations. The student should also not point out something contrary to his opinion, thinking himself more learned than the teacher. Okay, so that joins with our previous point. And he should not whisper to another student in his gathering, nor should he look around too much, but rather he should sit with good manners and eyes downcast as though he is in ritual prayer. So the way in which he physically conducts himself is just as important as the way in which his heart and his mind are interacting and conducting themselves with regards to the knowledge that the teacher is imparting. He shouldn't also burden the teacher with too many questions, particularly if the teacher is tired or weary. And when the teacher stands, then he should stand out of respect and not follow him from the gathering, talking to him and pulling on his clothes and trying to get his attention with his questions. And he should not ask him questions on the way to his home until he reaches there. So the student should allow the teacher to leave, to go back, for example, to uh, a staff room or back to the place where the teacher goes after the class wait till the teacher gets there then come and knock on the door and ask the teacher can I have a moment I have questions for you etc so not to go chasing the teacher and most importantly a student should not have a bad opinion of his teacher regarding the outward appearance of what the teacher does which the student thinks might be blameworthy because the teacher knows better about his own personal affairs. And this is very important because particularly in the time that we live in where people are constantly seeking the errors of others, trying to find fault. If he sees, for example, oh, the teacher didn't come to the, the congregational prayer today. Oh, they didn't come at Doha, they didn't come at Asa, the teacher didn't come. 
what's going on? Oh, this teacher is showing blameworthy behavior by not coming to the congregational prayer. Then it might be that the teacher is sick. Might be that the teacher has a, a knee problem and can't walk properly or there is an issue at home or they had a distressing phone call right when they were meant to go to the mosque and they couldn't make it or anything that goes on in the private life of the teacher. So even though sometimes it looks like the teacher is at fault, the student shouldn't try and be aware of those things and notice those things and start to develop a bad opinion about the teacher but they should always have the best opinion and Imam Ghazali says that let the student recall the words of Sayyidina Musa Moses to Khidr in Surah Al-Kahf when he questioned what Sayyidina Khidr was doing with the people in the boat and he said, have you made a hole in the boat to drown the owners of it? Indeed, you have done a very bad thing. So what Sayyidina Musa didn't realize is that there was a wisdom because those people were being followed by an oppressor. But he took the outward form of what Sayyidina Khidr had done and he condemned his actions because he relied on the outward appearance. And that was his error in judgment in that particular case. The fourth category that we're going to look at is the etiquette of the child with his parents. And Imam Ghazali says that if you have parents who are still alive, then the manners of the child with them are to listen to what they say. Okay, so to be attentive, to stand when they stand out of respect and to fulfill their wishes, to submit to doing what they say. And this is very important, even if you think that what your parent wants you to do is harmful for them, as long as it's not sinful, then you're required to fulfill their wish or their request. Imam Ghazali also says, do not walk ahead of them uh, unless you're required to. So for example, one of them might be frail or injured and you need to step ahead of them so that they can hold on to you or whatever is the circumstance unless there is a need for you to be in front of them you shouldn't walk in front of them because it looks haughty and arrogant you should be more humble to them than that uh, you shouldn't raise your voice over theirs and this is really the height of bad manners and children need to learn from a very young age that they must never raise their voice or shout or scream in the face of their parents that this is really really the worst adept that they can do um, and Imam Ghazali mentions that here when a parent calls you then you should respond and you should respond with good words Imam Ujawi says such as Labaik here I am or Nam yes or Sayyidi oh my master or Sayyidati as you would use for the feminine so you should speak to them in a good way and in a way that uses a respectful title. You should seek their good pleasure, as Imam Ghazali says, and lower to them the wing of humility. So you should be humble towards them. And Imam al-Jawi tells us that that humbleness towards them and lowering that wing of humility and softness and gentleness is being in their service feeding them if they require that, preferring them over yourself and even your own children. 
He also says, don't remind them of the goodness of what you have done for them because that will make them brokenhearted, meaning what? It will make them feel bad about what's happened. They might feel that they've put you in hardship because you did something good or that somehow um, they've been a burden on you. So you should never remind them of anything that you've done because if that persists, if they keep feeling that somehow they have uh, been a, a problem or difficult for you, then it will ultimately lead to cutting off relations. This is what Imam Ujjawi warns. So that's the outcome of that. If somebody feels that they're such a burden and such a problem for you because you keep saying, oh, remember I did this, remember I did that, and don't forget all the good things I've done for you, then very quickly they'll, they won't ask you anymore, they won't look for you anymore, and they'll just leave you alone because they can't stand to feel bad about the way that you've made them feel through reminding them of that. Imam Ghazali also says don't look at them um, in an angry way and don't frown in their faces and do not travel except with their consent. Imam Ujawi says that if you want to go for Hajj or for any type of uh, expedition or if you want to go and uh, visit the graves of the prophets and of the saints then you should seek their permission to do that first. He also says that if you need to travel for business and for trade, then you should speak to them as well. However, he makes the exception that if you are traveling to seek sacred knowledge, uh, whether that be personally obligatory or other, then you don't need to seek their permission to do that. Of course, you should seek their blessing, but you do not need them to actually enable you or to give you permission to go ahead because that knowledge is obligatory for you to seek. And he has a note here at the end about non-Muslim parents. And he says that their child should have the best of manners towards them. He should have good company with them and help them in everything that they need and that they require and that uh, the interaction of a child with non-Muslim parents should be on the basis of forbearance and tolerance and whatever good manners and good etiquette would require from them. So every everything that is noble, makarimul akhlaq, the most noble and virtuous uh, qualities and manner of interacting with them, uh, which is, of course, the proper position, although... Sometimes people, particularly new Muslims, are given terrible advice and they're told um, in some circles that if you have non-Muslim family, then you need to cut yourself off from them because they are a bad influence. Um, I've had that said to myself right at the beginning and I've heard that said to several people. Um, and of course, this is the worst possible thing you can do and completely unacceptable. So if that's ever been said to you, then ignore that and reverse that and do whatever you can uh, to try and repair any damage that might have resulted from that evil advice if you had been given that. And finally, Imam Ghazali's advice for the etiquette that you should adorn yourself with amongst people who you don't know. So this would be the general public. And he says there are five things. And first of all, he says that you should avoid getting involved in their conversations or discussions. So just leave people to talk what they want to talk about without getting into anything. Do not pay much attention to their disquieting talk, so to things that people are complaining about. Um, you should disregard 
the consequences of the bad things that they say. He also says you should be wary of meeting with them too often or getting into a position where you are in need of them. So try not to, to go around and getting your needs fulfilled by people who you really don't know. And if it is that you can see that there are blameworthy actions in what they are doing, then try to call their attention to that with gentleness and sincerity, but only if you hope and think that there is a good chance that they might accept what you say. If it is that you feel that they won't accept what they say, then it's better for you to avoid saying anything. And just the final point I want to make with regards to that is, how much of our time are we spending on social media and dealing with the general public, dealing with people who we do not know and engaging with uh, their conversations and discussions? We're paying too much time to their disquieting talk. We don't regard the consequences of what follows from the bad things that they say and we end up spending, even though it might be in a virtual space, way too much time with them, meeting them in there and getting into a position where we might need something from them, for example, support for a comment that we've made or someone to acknowledge that a point of view of ours is correct or that people who we support are also correct. So I think this is a much more significant a section of people where we need to maintain our proper Islamic etiquette and adab with them than it has been before um, because we are spending so much of our time engaged with people who we don't know and the things that they say. So we feel that we know them because of the excessive amount of information that people give about themselves and the way in which the social media platforms themselves enable people to expose so much of themselves. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are interacting with people who we don't know and we really should uh, bear these five points in mind. Inshallah, when it comes to minimizing our interaction and not getting engaged with things that are going on with people who we don't know because at the end of the day, it's not our business. And the very famous hadith, okay, min husn al-mar'i, tarkuhu ma la So from the best of a person's Islam is to leave that which does not concern them. And if we only took that, and that completely suffices us as it is a blessed hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, then inshallah that would be enough for us to know how to deal with what goes on in the public space. Inshallah we will continue in the next episode and we ask Allah for tawfiq and to adorn us and to bless us with the best of etiquettes, akhlaq, with the best of virtuous manners, behavior and comportment in the company of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatever situation that we find ourselves in with regards to other people. Inshallah wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.